Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And we're back with Michelle Balanger as we talk about her work as a demonologist. Michelle, you're a Catholic. I'm a Catholic. The Catholic Church has been very active lately in uh, studying demons. They have opened up their exorcism classes. They're getting more exorcists all over the place. What uh, what can you tell us about what the Catholic Church is, is doing on record about this? Well, they've started up uh, demonology and exorcism courses, and you know, typically that's been exclusively for for Catholics, Catholic priests, and, and you know, very guarded territory. Uh, and that is not to say that the the right of exorcism isn't something that you find in, you know, other Christian traditions as well as other traditions, other religions right across the, the, the board. But, you know, our popular portrayal, um, partly because of the movie The Exorcist, what people identify with classic um, exorcism is, is very much the, the Roman ritual. They've opened their doors to not merely Catholics at this point. They are concerned enough by a rise in what they believe to be you know, genuine cases of possession across the globe, that they want to arm more than just their priests, which is unprecedented. That's huge news, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely huge. Like, like, not something that has ever happened before. Uh, I mean, when, when I'd seen the news bite about it, I, I started, like, digging around on the Internet, because, of course, we live in the world where you have to, like, find five different citations for something that you've read on any news feed to make sure that it's actually really true. Uh, uh, that's true. Um, You're right. <laughs> I, I have to look at these things now ten times before I go on the air with it going, is this real? I've got a couple sources that are, you know, impeccable, but you still never know, especially on the Internet. Yeah, no, and, and, and so, like, double-checking and double-checking and double-checking. Um, but, you know, it's, it is it uh, is a week-long Vatican course, uh, and it's an international series on, uh, I think the title is Exorcism and the Prayer of Liberation, uh, and it's, uh, what, 300 euros or so? So what is that? It's probably 360 about under, uh, under $400. Not, not a lot to become no, really an exorcist. not a lot at all for, for like, the, the level of... Instruction. Well, and I guess they give you a certificate too, right? You're certified. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine something um, that proves that you are who you are. Yeah, no, and, and that's that's important. That's actually one of the reasons why I resist calling myself a demonologist. You know, I've, I've got the the scholarly background, but again, there's just so many people who just kind of put on the demonologist. Right, you, one you, book and, you've not been authenticated, basically. Well, the problem is, is you know, having sat in on some things that were pretty hairy, that is not something I would suggest anybody try to do after reading just one book. Like, that's dangerous territory, not just for the, the person who they're trying to help, but for anybody else in that room. Um, now, and, you know, there's trick. No, go ahead. Well, why do you think the Catholic Church opened up these these courses and certifications to other people who are non-Catholic? Well, first of all, I think we've got a pretty fantastic Pope um, who is progressive and open-minded. Uh, and on top of that, the, the demonologists with the Church have been really kind of pounding the drums of we're in a time where things are getting intense. And I think 
it only makes sense at that point to be more ecumenical about it. Well, that could be, absolutely. Now, originally, what created demons, possessions, was it was it mainstream religion? How did it start in the first place? And I'm talking about way back since the beginning of time. If we go back to Simmer Babylon, um, their idea of, of possession, which, which is almost one-for-one one, um, what we identify as possession, um, the possessed person, first of all, the things that they identified as demons were non-human entities uh, that were intelligent and malevolent and expressly focused on disrupting the, the human sphere. They were bringers of chaos and disease and destruction. Uh, they were often personified as these massive forces of nature, um, but you know, took particular interest in individuals. Uh, they would uh, overshadow them first, uh, cause illness, um, but ultimately uh, try to crawl under their skin, like get into the person, uh, and then wreak harm through the person. The methods of driving that out, uh, fascinatingly, we see uh, an echo in the the Gerasene demoniac in, I think it's in Luke and in Mark. Everybody knows this section out of the Bible because it's where I am legion comes from, uh, and it's the fellow who Jesus comes across him, and he's got a legion of demons in him. Jesus ultimately demands their name. Um, they answer that they're legion, and Jesus cast them out into a herd of swine, which then go careening off a cliff uh, and, kill it and, and, and die, presumably, killing the demons. The, um, the time period, the, the culture that that occurs in, uh, those folks would recognize that as a very classic method of exorcism because that's how it was done all the way back to Sumer and Babylon. They would get the name of the possessing entity. They would drive it out, usually into a substitute, often an animal, um, sometimes a figurine, but usually something like a pig or a goat that would then be sacrificed, uh, thereby killing the demon that was caught in it, because you really didn't want to do that to the person. Right. Right. I mean, there is that possibility you could end up killing the person, trying to get the demon. Well, and that's one of the reasons why exorcism uh, has been a very controversial thing, uh, because sometimes that has happened. It has happened on record. Uh, it has been a result in instances where, where the folks performing the exorcism felt very firm that what they were doing was right. Um, you know, having having watched Father Bob battle a couple of things, uh, the folks who are possessed or who are manifesting all of these signs of being possessed, uh, do not go quietly <laughs> and can get violent. Uh, and so I, I can understand why there are circumstances where people are held down um, or occasionally bound and tied down uh, because, you know, frankly, they one of the signs of demonic possession, because the Catholic Church used to be very strict, uh, and I think still is, they have a checklist of things that a person has to manifest for them to identify it as genuine possession. You know, obviously, uh, psycho psychological and psychiatric issues have to be ruled out, um, and, you know, those are, psychiatrists are involved these days with, with assessing it. But, you know, a person will exhibit strength that is beyond their, their mortal frame. 
Uh, and, you know, that, that's right there on the checklist. Uh, Xenoglossia, um, which is speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. um, exhibiting languages that they never had exposure to, that they had no opportunity to learn, uh, exhibiting knowledge, uh, because the, the things that we believe we're dealing with, they're, they're smarter than your average bear, that's for sure. You know, they're, they're, they're more tuned into things and will come up with some of the darndest stuff uh, comes out of their mouths in the middle of stuff. Uh, that much I can attest to. What creates the possession in the first place? I mean, what do they do to get their guard down? Well, there's a lot of different opinions on that. If you go back to, to the roots of Western demonology uh, and the tradition of possession and exorcism, sometimes nothing at all. Like, you just pulled the short straw. Um, something You caught something's attention, and maybe you were just not feeling well enough that week. Uh, maybe you didn't propitiate the right God, but sometimes it's just bad things happen to good people. Uh, now, as we've moved forward... Uh, here and now, there's generally the idea that somehow you've invited it in, that there's some lapse right. in like your a life. We, like with a Ouija board, maybe. Well, some of the most convincing um, letting things in. Um, I, I, I'll fall back on one of the ones that I sat in on, um, and this was this was an instance that Father Bob was involved in, and I will say that in my opinion that there was definitely a possessing entity. Um, the individual had a history of drugs and alcohol, uh, and um, so addiction was a significant issue for him. And it was the opinion, not merely of Father Bob, but also also of the uh, psychologist who was working with us, that that was the that was the crack that let this start to get into his life. Um, and I find that honestly a much more credible crack than just picking up, you know, a cursed item or whatnot. Well, that could be. Now, you also have, you still have this haunted house? Yeah. Um, it's the coziest haunting. So I I train people who are... What's, a, what's a coziest haunting? So it's, it's a house that uh, was built 1869, 1870, mm-hmm. and it's had a series of owners, many of whom lived 30, 40 years. Like, they, they lived and they died in the houses, uh, um, in the house. And they are, in my opinion, the ghosts that haunt that house are people who simply loved it too much to want to leave. Uh, they're not violent. They're not negative. Uh, they're intelligent. And it was the, the best haunting I could find as kind of a place of, for, for psychic training wheels. Uh, for folks who are working with spirits who are learning to discern the difference between a negative haunting and a good haunting, who are learning to uh, assess their own abilities, it is the the safest thing I could find. But you enjoy it, obviously. Yeah, actually, I um, you know, spent some time getting to know the people who who were there. The um, is it relaxing? So I'm, I find it interesting. Um, I, I suppose it's not everybody's cup of tea. Uh, I've, I was raised in a family where, where psychic abilities came down on both sides. Uh, and so spirits weren't necessarily a weird or scary thing growing up. 
uh, you know, finding that there are certainly much nastier things out there than, you know, just, you know, your dead Aunt Edna who just has never left upstairs. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> that's a very different thing. Um, but, you know, the, the house that I picked up in Oberlin is not everything needs to be driven out. Uh, and, you know, I, I have a very firm stance on that. It was actually one of the things that uh, Lorraine and I sometimes disagreed on uh, professionally. I really didn't think that everything needed to be cast out of a house or, or anything. Like, in some cases, sometimes our, our dead loved ones come back to watch over us. And, you know, it's their choice to come back. And they're not causing any trouble. Actually, they're there to help. Um, the problem being that, you know, your average person can't tell the difference and isn't necessarily prepared uh, to to deal with the manifestation of the paranormal. No, um, it's, it's scary even if it is well-intentioned. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.